0: Production. Hi, I'm Veronica Milsom and this is Full Blown Adult, the podcast that helps you find credible information from qualified experts for when it's time to become an adult. Because although it's good to get advice from your parents, they probably don't know what they're talking about. That is a weird moment when you work that out, isn't it? Finding out your parents aren't super special, that they make mistakes like you and that they don't know anything actually, it's a brutal realisation. Like finding out the truth about the tooth fairy. It stings, but it's all part of growing up. In this episode, you'll learn from two experts about starting a business, your side hustle. If
1: one's taken over the other, it looks like it potentially could and you're happy, well, that's the time to sit down, do some maths and be like, okay, if I invest extra time, like the time that I'm spending at work, into this business, is it going to get me where I want to go? From my observations, a
0: side hustle is the thing you do secretly at work when you're actually getting paid to do your job. I remember when I worked at a radio station, which will remain nameless, and I would see some of the radio announcers, who will remain nameless, look really busy on their computers while the songs were playing and I would think, damn, they've got a side hustle going, for sure. I'm thinking share trading, selling bulk supplies on eBay, doing their family's accounting work, whatever was happening. There was money being made on top of their salary. I'm talking double-dipping salary action. And frankly, I applauded it. I was inspired by it. The only time I ever tried was when I sold homemade jewellery to my colleagues at an office I worked in, and I was so embarrassed about how long it took me to make the necklaces that I just underpriced them and ran at a very large loss. No-one knew, of course, but I was humiliated on behalf of myself. But at least I dared to dream that capitalist dream, you know? In this episode, you'll find out where to start with your business idea. It could be as small as starting a stall at a market, as big as trying to get a product manufactured and sold, or as weird as buying teeth from small children like the Tooth Fairy, who I do recognise is absolutely not real. I found that out. Here to fill you in are two full-blown adult experts in the field, Ines Birchich from Melbourne Law Studio and David Gibbs from MVA Bennett. Hey, guys. Hi, Veronica. Hi, Veronica. So, Ines, can we start with you? Because yes. like, not only do you see clients who are needing legal advice for their business, but you also started your own law firm, yes, which is a I big did. undertaking. How old were you when you did that?
1: So, I started about four years ago. So, what would that have made me? 20, 26, 27? But yeah, it's definitely been an experience and I think that it gives me a little bit more insight into what people are going through because I've been through the ups and downs and... I've made it past the magic number of three. So I think most businesses fail within the first three years. So the third anniversary was uh, was really special. Right. Yeah,
0: because was it scary? <laughs> Were your family and friends being like, you're 26, what are you doing, you nutcase? Oh,
1: I thought my parents would be really proud, but my dad just looked me in the eyes and was like, you're brave and <laughs> left. And that was it. And I was like, okay, well. <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> thanks.
0: <laughs> David, you're a business strategist, but I noticed that you're also a member of the Order of Australia. Which is, I mean, now a prerequisite for every future guest of this podcast. But how did you become one? And can I?
2: Well, can I say, I think I was delighted to be bestowed as a member of the Order of Australia in the Queen's Birthday Honours this year for services to chartered accounting, which sounds terribly boring, but my profession has been wonderful and it's got me in and out of all sorts of stuff over the years. And so what do you get, a medal or something? Trophy. Well, you get a a little badge. Uh, I'm actually wearing one at the moment, which uh, looks a bit like a rotary badge. Well,
0: I'm going to take you way more seriously now, David. I I, I didn't as you walked into the room, but now I've seen you've got the badge. Um, Let's go for it. So, Ines, starting with you very broadly, why do you see people start their own
1: businesses? Oh, God. Very broadly indeed. I think it's for a whole host of, of reasons, really. And I think one of the easiest ways to sum it up, at least for me when I think about it, is... There's a need that you've got that isn't being met through employment, right? So perhaps you are a parent that has been struggling to return to work or whilst you're, you know, at home with the kids, you want to make some money on the side. Perhaps you have identified a gap in the market. You want to go out there, you've realised no other businesses are doing it or you think you could do it better. Or the, I think, most common one and the most deceiving one is, oh, I want to work for myself because I want that freedom and flexibility. And the funny thing is, I think that we run away from nine-to-five work start our own businesses and then end up working almost 24-7, which is a little bit ironic. So you have the flexibility, yeah, to work your mm. 16 hours a day <laughs> any you want in those 24 hours. Yeah. So it's… Uh, well, I feel
0: like people are doing that a lot in COVID anyway, like, you know.
1: Well, that's the thing too and I think that a lot… That's actually a great point, Veronica. I think that a lot of what made people maybe look towards self-employment, let's call it that way, we've got that now. Like, it's, it's come about by way of COVID, like that flexibility, working from home, all of these things that were unimaginable before, you know, you you think about it, you know, wanting to work from home before, most employers are like, no way, that's not happening. Whereas now we know we can. Everybody literally can work from home. It's not an issue. I think that, you know, if that was a a big motivating factor for someone previously, perhaps it wouldn't be anymore and they need to have a think about, well, what else Mm. is in it for me? If I can get it from an employer, I mean, do you really want to get rid of that security and risk it.
0: Yeah, sure. So, like, hypothetically, say if I see a gap in the market and I'm thinking that I want to make, like, bunting, mm. right? I'm going to sew some bunting, make personalised bunting. This is the first time I've thought of this. No, it's definitely not. I've contemplated making personalised bunting. There is a gap in the market for the record. Okay. So, David, am I, like, setting up a startup or is it a side hustle or a small business? I get confused about the names.
2: I think the answer to the question is you're going to do whatever comes easiest for you. You're going to have an idea that you're going to pursue or perhaps you might inherit somebody else's business or you might take over something else that's already got a few transactions happening and you say, well, you're not doing it very well. Let me take it on and we'll go on from here. You might start off. My daughter, who is uh, 14, started making masks oh. out of my old gas man shirts.
0: Oh, okay, like yes, covid masks out of your old gas shirts. <laughs>
2: that's so weird. And she she <laughs> set up a website for that, she set up an Instagram account and she sold something like 300 masks that she manufactured on the dining room table and she sold them and went out and bought the mobile phone that I wouldn't buy. <laughs> and, and That's and, called I mean, entrepreneurship, that's David. Good, that's called it's entrepreneurship. It's a very good example and what we've said to her is that won't it look good on your resume? When you do get to the chance of of getting a job and saying that you've already done this thing.
1: Yeah. Can I just add to that, Veronica, as well? I think that entrepreneurship and startups and stuff, these are just buzzwords these days. And I know that sounds really bad, but it's true. I think that people have this kind of idea that a startup is any new business that you start. That's not true. A startup in the traditional sense was supposed to be you know, you have an idea that's going to and it actually came from like Silicon Valley, like kind on of a tech background, right? So Yeah, that's
0: right. You only ever hear it in tech context.
1: Well, you used to, now it's everywhere. But it was very much like you have this scalable model, if you like, where you've got an idea, you go out, you get investors, and then right, yeah. basically you're you're gambling that it's gonna work out and you're gonna spend everybody everybody else's money because everyone knows you don't spend your own if you've got an alternative. You know, you go out and you set up this business and you hope that it will work Mm. in the future and that's a risk that you take with a startup. And it's supposed to be something new. You're supposed to disrupt a market. Yeah. Whereas that's not what we're doing most of the time when we're starting our own businesses. You're just starting a business. You know, in a small business, the model's supposed to work from day one. And, of course, you can scale and you can get bigger. Like if you buy a cafe or a gym or whatnot, you could have 15, 20 of them. Mm. But you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not starting anything new. You're not disrupting the market. So I think that we use the word startup sort of interchangeably with, you know, running your own business these days, but they're actually two very different concepts.
0: Okay. I mean, uh, can I say David, I feel like it's quite unhygienic to make a mask out of an
2: old shirt and sell it, is it? Well, it depends <laughs> which bit of the shirt, I think. <laughs>
1: Does it matter anymore in COVID? There's worse things out there so now, Veronica. It's, it's quite
2: spooky when you see somebody go past you and they're wearing something that looks like your your man shirt, particularly the armpits, Veronica, but you uh, know, that's what happens. But, <laughs> but they are reversible. One, one, of my great, one of my great experiences with this is the power of young people in business and I am of the view that probably 23 years of age is the ideal
1: 23? time that's because crazy. at that
2: stage you know a little bit but you don't know any fear.
1: Oh, I agree. You yeah.
2: haven't failed. And and once you get to about 28, you start to get a bit more serious about things and you've started to experience uh, risk and things that might have gone wrong. So if I'm trying to empower somebody to be entrepreneurial or to do something or to undertake something, I really look to about that age group of the early 20s. And if you fall over, well, we might pick you up and put you back. The hard part is when you get relationships and, you know, relationships are the big risks in this world. People go in and out of relationships and in business. I think Innocent, I see people wander in our office and say, we're best mates, we want to go into business together.
0: Yeah, that's the thing. To, to save costs, like should I go into business with a friend, do you think?
1: Oh
2: God, please oh, don't. Yeah, well, it depends whether you want to be friends or not. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, so, yeah, so what we do is we say, well, that's great, let's talk about what happens when, yeah. when you don't want to be in business?
1: I totally agree with you, David. I think that, of course, it's almost natural like to want to start a business. Like if you and your friend have bonded over something or, you know, you have this great idea together and you want to start a business together, I, I get it. I really do. But as David said, you need to be able to have this conversation. And I get asked this question a lot when people come in and they ask for advice and we say, for instance, you know, you need a shareholders' agreement you know, sit down together and and put down a list of who's going to be responsible for what so that there's no kind of arguing about it later. And people will look at you and go, well, why on earth are you talking about us going our separate ways we haven't even started yet? For me, it's if you cannot sit down and do the basic documents together and decide who's responsible for what.
0: Yeah, going to get
1: messy. Whose money is going to be used? You know, how are people going to get paid? What are the rules of the game, if you like? you can't do that today when you've got no money and no idea, <laughs> what on earth is it going to be like later? And then, you know, more money, more problems. <laughs> um, at the risk of sounding like a massive loser just then, but it's tr- No, you didn't. It's I went true. with you on it. Yeah.
0: And this, so have you seen instances where it's it's gone totally awry? Oh God. I wouldn't have a job otherwise, I think. Tell me, this is what I'm here for, the dirt.
1: I mean, that's most of the time when you're dealing with um, shareholder disputes or director disputes when... Yeah, business partners are divorced and call it a professional divorce, you know, when you're going through that type of thing. Look, I've had so many instances of, of best friends, you know, literally best friends for, for 15, 20 years. They've, they're have family now, you know. Their kids have grown up together. They barbecue every weekend. They're going on holidays. They own property. The investment is bigger than just the business and they literally can't look at each other. I don't know what happens. Sometimes it's over one incident, in, in you know, specifically and other times people just grow apart. They have different visions for businesses And I think that's why as well, you know, the type of work that David does in terms of like succession planning is really important because you get a chance to say what's going to happen to your business in the future and perhaps hand it over to somebody a bit earlier if you don't want to be there anymore.
0: So have you seen instances where like a lack of clear roles and legal documents has caused issues? Like maybe in a situation where there's five people who are the CEOs and they're all in it for a power trip, you know?
1: Yeah, definitely. I think that that notion that, you know, when you're starting a a business, particularly with other people, you know, everyone wants to be director, everybody wants to be CEO, but then when you actually delve into that, you go, well, is everybody actually going to be working in the business? Are you just investing money or what are each person's strengths and weaknesses? And if it's a matter of, well, I want to be director so that I've got access to the financials, for example, which is a really big thing, well, we can deal with that. We put that in a shareholder's agreement. There's a clause that says, you know, every person that's a shareholder can have access within seven days of requesting it from the accountant or whatever it may be. So that's dealt with pretty easily. But I think having those discussions about, well, what's the involvement and why do you need that title? So to deal with ego on the one hand, and then really, I think, to deal with the legal obligations and the risks on the other. Because when you're a director, there are certain legal obligations that you cannot get out of. So that's certain tax that's payable, like pay YG tax, I think it is, like superannuation for employees. These are things that even if you are not actively involved in running the business, the government doesn't care. And they will come after you. And it is not good enough to say, oh, but I wasn't there. You know, I don't have insight. They don't care. Because as a director, you have a responsibility to make sure that you know what's going on in the business. So it's really important to have those discussions. And I think, you know, for me, if I'm investing in a business or or I'm going to be a shareholder, I want to think, well, do I need to be there? Are these people that I'm going into business with competent enough? And if I don't think they're competent enough, then why am I in business with them to begin with?
2: And I think if you add money into that, uh, you with your, newfound business partner uh, have gone into business and it needs a little bit of money and one of you has uh, gone to the bank of mum and dad and borrowed $10,000 or something like that and put it into the joint bank mm. account and then it all goes astray and there's no accountability around that and and then mum and dad say, oh, yeah. well, where's the money and you can't get it back and it's not enough to employ a lawyer to try and work out what you do, it's gone you know, I'm an accountant, but money mm. is the root of all evil around this stuff. As I soon totally as you've got agree. money, there's accountability. So that makes it very difficult. And
1: also if you don't record, I mean, you'd know this, David, but if you don't record the money that's coming into the business, sometimes people don't even attribute a proper label to, to funds. So is it a loan? Is it, is it a shareholder loan, a director loan? How do you make sure that if the business, for instance, doesn't succeed, if it's going under, and for instance, the liquid Air is appointed, how are it all these ways in which businesses don't work out? Unfortunately, that's the topic we're on. Mm-hmm, but yeah. you want to make sure that your money in the money that you've invested is recorded so that there's a chance of you at least getting it back. So what point do you get professionals involved? I would say probably is, <laughs> as soon as you have an idea, you should be doing a business plan and then going to speak to an accountant and to a lawyer, at least just to give you the rudimentary yeah. run-through of what your business planning should look like. Or even a, a business coach, you know, there's so many different options.
2: Most uh, uh, accountants, lawyers will give you the first call free. Mm. Uh, they do it as a marketing exercise to see whether it's got legs and, and get you back. Uh, certainly that's the way I've always operated and you talk to a lot of people and very few of them would ever Get very far in the whole process. Mm. There's a lot of hurdles to get over along the way. I'm a great believer in in sending them off to a bookshop to buy um, "Business Planning for Dummies," the the yellow book in a bookshop. But oh, you, really? But right. you can Google it now. Uh, it's, all <laughs> it's, on, it's all on it's all on Google, and, and it's just uh, uh, in a professional sense. You say that's oh, that's very nice. That's very nice. Um, what a lovely good idea. <laughs> Why don't you go away and do this, this, and this, and I'll make a time to see you next week. And if they come back, then, you know, it's serious. Mm. Um, but invariably they, they'll find it's all too hard or yeah. well, they
0: were terrified of your um, accountant
1: voice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right, David. I think that there's so many obstacles and one of the really important things is to just plan it out. What do you want? What do you see yourself doing? How do you see yourself doing it? Like, you know, do you want to just be a sole trader, which means working for yourself? Yeah, just you. Do you want to perhaps, you know, do freelance work? Like if you're a videographer You could work for other businesses just doing, you know, editing or whatnot or providing content, marketing, you know, what does this idea of working for yourself really look like? And then what are the things that you need to do to get started? How much money do you need? Yeah,
0: I want to know that. Like, how much would it cost me to start my own business?
1: Well, it depends what you want to do. You want to buy a cafe, it might cost you 30k these days just to buy one where you put a key in the door and you're ready, you know? Okay. Otherwise... It really depends what you're doing. Right. Like, you know, what are the costs of the operation, if you like?
0: Okay. So, yeah, that is so variable, I guess. And then as is the question of how you set up the entity as a sole trader or as a company or whatever, say for my sewing business, that'd be as a sole trader, would it? I don't know.
2: If, for example, you discover a a very nice uh, garment that's manufactured in Denmark or something like that, and you say, well... This has not been seen in this country and I can go and sell them to Husk or I can sell them to Gazman, or whatever.
0: Like you're acquiring things from overseas and you're wanting to distribute them, yeah.
2: So then you've got to send off the initial order and you've Mm -hmm. got to say, well, I better have um, uh, ten smalls and six mediums and three larges or whatever and and then there's blue, green, black, uh, all these colours and you make judgments about all that and then you add it all up and then they say, well... You've got to pay up front and then you've got to pay the customs man and then you've got to pay GST and you've got to pay all these things. So suddenly you've spent $20,000 and then you, oh, you've got to insure it as well. Better have insure it in case it falls off the ship. And oh, Do you though? Nah. All these things and all this. And then it lands and then, oh, there's been a delay. Oh, and by the way, um it's now gone from summer to winter and you've missed the boat for this year's fashion. So... You're stuck with all this stock and you you talk about the risks of carrying on business. It's not that easy.
0: Yeah. I'm one of these people who's called up for the first time and then just never come back. That that put me off too hard, summer, winter. No,
1: but just on that point as well, Veronica, I think, you know, talking about sole traders and David saying don't get too ahead of yourself, like the risk that you run by being a sole trader is that you're personally liable. Whereas, you know, when you, you know, and for instance, in that Denmark dress example, if you – commit yourself to to buying something, well, then you're on the hook because it's your name on that contract. Let's just, you know, to really simplify it. You know, you owe someone twenty thirty thousand dollars 30000 because you've made a promise to pay. Yeah. Whereas when, you know, when you're a PTY or a company, when you're incorporated – we kind of have this veil that people hide behind because a a company is a separate legal entity. Okay. So you're not personally on the hook unless you put your name there, you as a person, Veronica. Otherwise, if it's the company, well, the company is responsible.
0: So would you advise going against being a sole trader to avoid,
1: like, legal issues around liability? I wouldn't necessarily advise against it. I think we go back to each business needs to be considered on its own and depending on what you want to do. It also depends on how much money you're spending, Uh, I think that each person needs to go away and get that proper advice. And look, when you tell me, for instance, I'm not going to be signing a lease, I'm just going to be buying materials to make candles, I mean, yeah, sure, be a sole trader. Why on earth would you spend money incorporating a company when you don't need to do that? So it really is case by case. A very legal answer, I know. Sorry, it depends, says the lawyer. But it really does depend, yeah.
2: And I think if I add my accountant flavour to that, I would say just get on and do it, and, and then if we need to incorporate it, we'll worry about it down the track a bit, take it slowly. prove that you've got something that's worth incorporating.
1: I think that some people get confused. They think that in order to have a business name, right, you need to incorporate. You don't need to do that. You can just buy a business name and own it. As a person, right? So if I like, like Veronica, <laughs> Veronica's bunting, whatever it is, you know, I can buy that name and then trade under it as a sole trader. So you don't need to be. Okay, don't you a get the bunting thing? Sorry, That's my- sorry. Well, I think it's
2: already taken that
1: one. We didn't <laughs> sign any kind of documents to say I can't steal things. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, but yeah, the point is that you could have a, a business name as a sole
2: trader, t- Veronica.
0: <laughs> um, with a K. <laughs> how do I gauge whether the business will be successful? Is there, like, an easy way to do that?
2: Oh, yes, you do. Some planning. You, you put some numbers down on a piece of paper or the back of an envelope or an Excel spreadsheet or... Serviette. A serviette. And you, uh, over a bottle of whatever, and you... And you, you <laughs> Maybe you,
1: maths first. You, 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 <laughs> yeah, you, <it. laughs> extend,
2: you extend it out. And the, the advantage of modern tools like Excel is that you can put columns in place and you can say what's going to happen if we do this, this week, this week, this week, and add it up across the page. You can see what it's likely to produce at the end of the day. So that's part of the business planning process is to do the forward. It's called cash flow projections. The cash in and cash out is what we're talking about. And hopefully the cash in will uh, exceed the cash out, but invariably the cash has to go out before it It comes in. For example, if in Ines's case, if we're going to set up a company for you, at the start, then there's money going out, which is absolutely dead weight. It doesn't doesn't help in the whole thing. It's just part of what we would call the overhead of uh, setting up the business.
1: But you need to think about, you know, what's your business going to look like? And David's right, you know, do you need to be a company right now or would it suffice to be a a sole trader? And this is all the things that you would talk to your accountant about, you know, your lawyer, whatever, through business planning. But also with the business planning, I think in the example of, you know, cash in, cash out, and if you're manufacturing clothing, or so you're going to be selling clothing, you know, what's the manufacturing cost? If you're going to start your dream business of selling dresses, for example, but it costs you, you know, $100 to make it because you want to be sustainable and you're going to keep it local but the market says that you could probably get away with selling it for 120 150 is that worth it for you how many do you need to sell to make a to make a profit like what's your magic number how much do you want to be working for because if you're going to turn over 50k a year but in an office job or whatever you know you're going to make double that is that what you want for yourself? So,
0: like, is one of the common mistakes you would imagine then that people make starting their own business that they don't have an adequate plan? Correct. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that was already my mistake.
2: You can have a plan, but if you don't follow the plan, you right. get the same result. So the word that I'm starting to use more around, it sounds very parental, but the word is discipline. <laughs> you one, one must be focused. And there are two sorts of people in this world, those that are focused and those that aren't focused. Those that can follow a plan and those that can't follow a plan. So you can have all the all the advice in the world, but if you don't follow the advice, then then you won't get there. And things get in the way as well. Plus, the the next leg of it all is if you employ people, it gets you into a whole new realm of responsibility, workers' compensation insurance uh, policies and procedures, uh, learning how to have what we call uh, uh, values and behaviours of. Uh, mutual trust is a very good one to have you've got to have a, a mutual trust in business to be successful with you and your employees you've got to have respect of your employees of you and you of them along the way there's some very good examples if you look at you know coffee shop A versus coffee shop B and and the attitude of the uh, the young people that are employed you know? if you look at the um, uh, the McDonald's the KFCs these sorts of businesses and uh, how remarkable they are because they follow a formula and they're self-generating of the uh, the enjoyment of people right. to work for them and, and the demand that goes with that. So business success doesn't come by accident, it comes from... Hard work and, yes, and discipline. Oh. And, oh, and uh, you can, oh, no, oh. you're starting to get it. You're starting to understand. <laughs> we could change places now. This is fine.
0: Oh, she's catching up. I'll start on. asking
2: you questions. That's good.
0: Uh. <laughs> so, with um, so many businesses failing in the first 12 months, as you were talking about um, mm. before, Ines, what are the successful businesses
1: doing right, do you think? You know, you have your business plan. And I had to review my business plan so many times, by the way, because the first one that I did, I think I was really optimistic. So I would say review your business plan. There's nothing wrong with reviewing the business plan and going, oh, maybe we're a bit too optimistic about this area yeah. or, you know, this we're going to need to spend more money on accountants or legal fees or whatnot to get it done right or just future planning. Maybe as, as David said before, circumstances have changed, but definitely being, being disciplined and being realistic and understanding that being a business owner is not the same as doing the job like for me. I I like to think that I'm a really good lawyer, but it doesn't mean that I'm a great business owner. Now I'm much better than I used to be. But they're just totally different things, you know. You don't – you're not automatically good at at running a business and and having staff just because you've given yourself that little hat Mm. where you've gone boss. What
0: does a good business plan look like? How do I formulate that?
2: They're basic headings that are the same whether you're BHP or whether you're Veronica's bunting. It's a question of – What's the object of the business? What's the why? Uh, what's it about? What What's the unique proposition of your business versus something else? It might be uh, making the best coffee in St Kilda. It might be the the sole access to a range of product that is not generally available elsewhere. So that's the first thing to start with. The second bit is then who are your customers and then who are your suppliers? Who are the people in between? Do I need to get something manufactured here so there's the steps in the steps in the transaction through the thing, and then, not lastly, but as part of all that, is then the financial calculations that go with that. So if I'm going to sell twenty at twenty dollars today, that's four hundred dollars, I think. So if you're going to do that every day for five days, that's two thousand dollars. It's a matter of doing those calculations and uh, and working it through. But the headings are very standard. It's very
1: much the who, what, when, where, why of your business. And also, I mean, Google these days, seriously. Like just put in business plan into Google and you'll it'll come up with countless precedents and sort of templates and then just work through it. And I think David's spot on. They're all very similar.
0: Okay, so when would I know when my side hustle has become big enough, successful enough for me to drop my full-time job and just go for it?
2: The reality is that uh, one overwhelms the other. so. At yeah. some stage, you, you, one runs out of capacity to do two things at once, two jobs at once along the way. It becomes obvious.
1: But very simply, it's really when you're making enough money and there is enough money to be made. Um, you know what I mean? And as, as David said, if one's taken over the other, it looks like it potentially could and you're happy, well, that's the time to sit down do some maths and be like, okay, if I invest extra time, like the time that I'm spending at work, into this business, is it going to get me where I want to go?
2: The technical word is probably pressure testing mm. your estimates. So you say, well, what, what's the range? What's the stretch in this? Uh, what happens if my chef doesn't turn up? Uh, how do I do that? What happens if I'm sick? But if you're running your own business, I bet I. I don't think I get sick. I mean, I can't, that's what I can't I'm saying. afford to yeah, not You fall in a heap when you're on holidays probably. Well, I don't. You don't, you don't yeah, no, you don't take holidays. Of course you do. No, you do, but, no, you but, do, you, but you're
1: constantly go. linked to that place that's yours and that's the thing, isn't it? It's your baby. It's it never goes, exactly right. and yeah. baby you, right? never goes away. And the yeah. buck stops with you, baby never goes away. And it's always on you. So all yeah. your staff members yeah. could decide they're going to be sick or they're going on holidays and there's all these things that you manage. But at the end of the day, whatever responsibility there is, it's yours. It comes back to you. So if my staff have got – so, for instance, if I've got a holiday planned and my staff are are sick and they can't manage, for instance, a litigation matter we've got on, whatever it is, I need to cancel my holiday because I can't go. Otherwise, who's going to be responsible? Zoom it in from Fiji. I wish. Imagine that. Next (laughs) to the pool. let
0: Let's
2: let's not be negative. (laughs) Let's not be negative. If we – Took all this seriously, we wouldn't have any businesses. Yes. So the reality is that life goes on and business happens. Yes,
1: and make and, bank, and, and, right?
2: And law, yes. lawyers exist, and a, a small town with one lawyer needs two because they. they well, need to, we
1: need someone to argue. They need with. to argue
2: with. So, so, <laughs> so it, it all it all goes on. The real issue about that is um, encourage people to have a go and do it, but do it wisely. And uh, what I learned recently, in a way really came home to me when I went to a presentation by a chap who would been I guess in his 40s and he had a picture of a uh, migrant boat full of people escaping and he said look at that boat and I said oh that's interesting and he said and then he pointed and it was him and he was there at the age of 10 and now he's a a very successful businessman in Australia and uh, he was talking about all this and what I learnt out of that was that our migrant population come from countries where small business is the nature of how they grow up, the market stall, the, the doing work, the doing business along the way. Well, if you look at the, the Anglo-Saxon grown up in Australia, whatever, it may not be the same type of thing. And when you look at what's happened in the last few years with immigration in Australia, most of our small businesses are run by people that have come from these other lands, and and added to our value because they're brought up that way, and they inherently know how to manage the risks of carrying on business. They're good at it. They're really good at doing it.
0: Yeah, and they've got what you talked about—the fire in their belly and the discipline—and they probably went online and downloaded the Dummies Guide to Business.
1: You know, it also gives um. I think the since we're being very positive, on top of that, <laughs> David um. Australia gives people an opportunity that they wouldn't have otherwise had. So if you live here and you have a business idea and you have that fire in your belly, do it. Because you live in one of the, you know, we live in this lucky country where you you can. And as a migrant myself, I'm telling you, my parents, we came here with nothing. I was 10 years old. I finished university and I went to uni because it meant so much to my parents. And, you know, starting my own business and stuff. And my parents always said they left behind everything that they knew. You know, we came from a war-torn country. They left behind everything and they didn't go back for me and my sister so that we could have these opportunities and really seize them. Yeah, I think people owe it to themselves to give it a go. You've been given the opportunity by this country and by sort of the environment that we find ourselves in. So if you think that you can make it work, then you definitely should give it a try. Great.
0: I mean, you could also um, be employed as just like someone to motivate people. I feel like I should just go out there and start making bunting now, guys. (laughs) I'm ready to turn my side hustle into my main hustle.
2: (laughs) Right. Well, come and talk to us. Yeah. This call is always free. Ah,
0: oh, David, see this is. Oh,
2: I'll thank send you, you the book. It's all in the book. <laughs>
0: oh, thank you so much for joining me today and helping me on my journey to becoming a full blown adult. I'm um, Ines Birchish from Melbourne Law Studio and David Gibbs from MVA Bennett. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Veronica. <laughs> Honestly, I feel like David, Innes and I all got along so well, we could be business partners. I mean, sure, we're not on the same page about some stuff. Like, Innes tried to steal my bunting idea a minute after hearing about it. And yeah, David clearly doesn't see our hygienic problem with Melburnians covering their faces in his pre-loved Gazman gear. Ew, no, David. But either way, I might slip him a cheeky DM on the old LinkedIn. If that's a thing full-blown adults definitely do. Which, yeah, I think it is. Full Blown Adult, yeah. Coming up in the next episode of Full Blown Adult, what do you need to know to invest any spare money you have? And how the heck do you do it? Expert wealth manager Mark Copsey offers his tips. The key to investing, I think, is just being sensible. If you're sensible with your money uh, and you're patient, which a lot of people aren't, unfortunately, over a long period of time,
2: you know, over 10 years, potentially you're going to double your money.
0: That's coming up on Full Blown Adult.
2: Listener